0: Millions of people are going hungry across the UK right now. Food banks are doing everything they can, but they need more help. Join Banquet's mission to tackle food poverty and get food banks across the UK what they need. One simple donation can make a huge difference to a family in poverty. To donate now, just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am thrilled to be joined for the first time in a long time by Chadwick Moore, who is a contributing editor to The Spectator in America and the author of a new book called So You've Been Sent to Diversity Training. Chadwick, I wanted to talk to you about the Twitter files, which we're going to get onto in a second. But I first of all wanted to ask you about this book and wondered if you could tell me a little bit about what it is and what you learned.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on and and nice to talk to you again, Freddie. So, you know, the book is, it came about, I was having a conversation with someone and they had said, you know, if, if these magazines, these kind of snarky, witty, maybe once snarky and witty intellectual magazines like the New Yorker or the Atlantic still had any kind of reputation to them, (laughs) they would have, have done something about diversity training, DEI training in the workplace, because it's something that everyone can relate to, almost everyone, especially if you have a corporate job. And it's just so ridiculous and so off the rails and no one's really looking into what exactly is happening here. And I said, well, I write for one such magazine, even though it tends to not be on the left. But the more I started thinking about it, I'm like, and looking into it, I realized that this is, you know, this should be a book. So I wanted to just sort of have a lot of fun with it. And I just talked to workers from across the economy. I talked to, you know, guys on oil rigs, to people who work on the retail sales floor, to IT managers, all sorts of people, just about like, what's going on with your diversity training? What have you experienced? And, you know, what I uncovered was pretty much what I expected, something that's equal parts sinister, and also ridiculous. And some of the stories that I was told were, were just so funny. I mean, one thing about this diversity training at work is it's so infantilizing. It's the golden rule that we all learned back in kindergarten, which is treat others as you'd like to be treated, is of course completely out the window. And now it's treat one group of people one way, be sensitive about this when you're talking to another group of people, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, most, the vast majority, almost everyone in America is not necessarily obsessed with or worried about the skin color or sexuality of the person in the cubicle next to them. But for some reason, the head offices in the suits think that they're very concerned about it, or at least they ought to be. So I wanted to look into where this came from, where it is now and where it perhaps is headed. And that's uh, how the book came about.
0: You said sinister. Did you find your interviewees were frightened about talking? Did they not want to have been named in case it got them in trouble?
1: Yeah, just about everyone is interviewed using an assumed name. They were all worried about getting fired. They were all worried about backlash on their jobs. Some consequences you know, would be greater than others. I, I spoke to an NYPD officer who's just about to hit retirement. And of course, if he speaks with a, a journalist, especially about a topic as sensitive as this, he'll lose his pension. So everyone was certainly very frightened to... Uh, <laughs> be known that they were slightly critical or at least questioning this practice in their workplace.
0: And how standard is it now in America? Because in Britain, I think it's creeping into kind of corporate culture, but it's by no means everywhere. Is it pretty much any big or serious job in America or what I mean is like for a big company or even a sort of medium-sized company, would you expect to have diversity training now?
1: Certainly, if your company has an HR department, then chances are you're gonna have to go through diversity training at some point and it's in line with, you have to go through sexual harassment training, you have to go through all these sorts of training, and diversity training is one of them. It took a really dark turn after the summer of St. George Floyd, and that is when a lot of people I spoke to noticed that these kind of innocuous trainings that they just sat through and fiddled their thumbs and didn't pay much attention to took a more aggressive stance and took a very political stance, more importantly. And of course, one way that that political forces behind this kind of indoctrinization get away with it is it doesn't sound like they're doing anything very political. They're they're just saying that certain groups of people have these experiences and that you should be sensitive to that in order for everyone to be more cohesive in the workplace, blah, blah, blah. But of course, there is deeply political roots to all of this. And um, the way in which these HR departments and diversity trainings altered
0: what they're teaching after George Floyd really exposed that Well, let's move on to a giant corporation, or certainly a very rich corporation, Twitter, which has been in the news this week because of the Twitter files. I think probably most listeners will be fairly up to speed, but I'll try and give a sort of brief introduction to it, which is that Elon Musk, as everyone knows, has taken over Twitter, and he has been promising for a while to release some emails detailing what happened in the run-up to the presidential election of 2020, And this includes, of course, the famous suppression of the New York Post story about Hunter Biden, which I think Americano listeners are familiar with. The first batch of these emails came out over the weekend, and it's fair to say they were a bit of a, not necessarily a disappointment or a flood, but they didn't have anything particularly sensational. And then a couple of nights ago, Matt Taibbi did a supplemental Twitter thread about this story, revealing that the files were actually vetted by a former FBI general counsel, Jim Baker, who had a job of deputy counsel at Twitter and then was promptly fired by Elon Musk once this was discovered by Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss. You're quite familiar with blue check Twitter sphere. How mad are people going about this in America? I think you're right that
1: there was a sense of, I don't know if I want to say disappointment, but it wasn't a huge bombshell that everyone hoped it would be the first round of the Twitter files. But it was really interesting, even for those of us who always knew Hunter's laptop was real, always knew that there was political persuasion behind censoring the story. It was really interesting just to see how close the campaigns worked with Twitter. And by the campaigns by proxy, that would be the political parties. So both political parties had access to Twitter to have, Content removed and censored, obviously the Democrats the Biden campaign had far greater access, and they seem to have worked more closely with Twitter. This probably just being due to the fact that Twitter is you know over Twitter employees donated to, to Democrats over ninety percent. there were mostly far left people who worked at Twitter so it was interesting just to see how they communicated and how promptly Twitter would react to requests from the Biden campaign to remove content to censor private individuals who maybe didn't even have large followings at all, if they were saying something that they didn't like, Twitter would jump on these requests from the campaign to remove this content. And also, what a lot of people are saying now is that this this isn't really, it, it's tricky when you start getting into First Amendment law. I'm not a lawyer, but as far as I understand, because the, the campaigns, of course, are not the government. They're campaigns. So they're, in a sense, businesses. And So with these instances, the Biden campaign pressuring Twitter to do things is not the same as the government. Obviously, he wasn't president then. So they don't appear to be violating any sort of law in doing that. Of course, it's ugly, but it was interesting to see just the kind of access that they had and would continue to have if Elon Musk hadn't taken over. Now, with the with the lawyer you brought up, that's interesting because he did work for the FBI. He was a general counsel for the FBI until 2017. He was a big part of the Russia hoax collusion that the FBI was investigating. He was a CNN contributor. He worked for liberal think tanks. And then he was brought on as a deputy general counsel at Twitter. Republican lawmakers in in the House of Representatives are threatening to drag him in, to question him, to you know, figure out what happened and be sure that might happen. It'll just be another show and another waste of money. Like anything Congress does, nothing really ever comes out of that stuff. I don't think he really necessarily did anything illegal. It doesn't seem yet. People have sort of discussed that maybe the greatest penalty he could face would be being disbarred because he misled his, and his client, that being Twitter about the veracity of the laptop. So if he gave Twitter bad advice and that ends up hurting Twitter, knowingly gave them bad advice then he could be disbarred for that. But when you read his emails, he is a lawyer. So his words are very careful. And he is very judicious about how he advises them to handle a laptop. So it doesn't look like that is really a case for disbarment, judging from the language that he used in those emails. The most interesting thing that we learned, and I think that what people in America are going the most crazy about, this would be not the people who watch mainstream media, because they haven't mentioned any of this at all. But it's the fact that The evidence seems to be leading towards the fact that the FBI itself was meddling in the 2020 election, which is huge. That is a major, major crime, a major, major violation of the First Amendment. And the evidence for this comes from the fact that the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop. It was given to them years ago. So they, we assume, looked at it. They knew it was real. They knew everything in it was real. And they also knew that a story was coming about it the FBI had weekly meetings with Twitter and Facebook executives for weeks and months leading up to the 2020 election, in which they advised them that there's going to be a Russian disinformation hoax coming about Hunter Biden and hacked materials. So they're saying this knowing it's real. And they probably knew that Giuliani, Rudolph Giuliani, excuse me, And um, Steve Bannon were out shopping this around to media outlets. They'd shopped it around to like 10 outlets before the New York Post decided to to take it and run a story on it. So that's a huge story. That's the one that has people who are really paying attention to this and care about these things going nuts. And of course, the mainstream media isn't reporting on it. The other thing that I think a lot of people are interested in that we didn't get on the Twitter files, number one, is what happened after the election. I think a lot of people, and this could be, A grounds to sue the federal government and crimes being committed. If the Biden administration was pressuring, once they were in the White House, pressuring uh, to censor people, for example, over COVID, which obviously they were, we know that they were. Facebook actually admitted that they were a long time ago. But then again, also, those things are so hard to prove, because the government could just say that the intimidation tactics could be just implicit and not explicit with the government, you know, sort of suggesting that this is false information, but it's up to you if you want to take it down or not, Twitter and Facebook, implying take it down. So these things are very hard to prove. But again, what the FBI knew and what they were up to, I think, is the is the biggest story here.
0: Well, if there is this level of collusion between the FBI and big tech, it is obviously a pretty major scandal. And Is it not the case that, you know, people scoff often if you use the phrase deep state, but this is what happens in countries like, say, Pakistan or or somewhere where you have a deep state and you have a sort of security service, either the military or the intelligence agencies that manipulate the political system. And so it is, without wanting to sound sort of hysterical or sound like the Democrats sounded in 2016 about Russiagate, it is a sort of threat to democracy, isn't it? it's the greatest threat to democracy that you could that you could imagine. And
1: Americans think that they're so immune from something like this, as you had mentioned, that happens and has happened all over the world in countries that America would traditionally look down upon as being banana republics and corrupts. But they think they're immune from this happening in their own country. The Soviet Union had a constitution. They had a Bill of Rights that gave more freedoms than the U.S. Constitution does. Uh, the greatest dictatorships in the history of the world and the greatest banner republics all had constitutions and they all guaranteed things like freedom of speech and, and things of that nature. So to think that that's what actually protects us is absurd. And to think that this permanent Washington deep state, yeah, we can call it that, it's permanent Washington. You know, you have the political parties coming in and out. They are temporary jobs, especially if you're the president. You are not a part of this infrastructure that is there all the time. And by many accounts, perhaps controls everything. We don't know. The distrust of the FBI has been growing, of course, for many, many years. If you look at uh, January 6th, their involvement in that with, with planting people in the audience, this bizarre plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan, which was revealed to be a bunch of undercover FBI agents trying to antagonize a group of people to carry out the plot. Things like the, the mass shooting in Las Vegas several years ago, the largest mass shooting in American history, several hundred people died. The FBI just had no answer for it. Like, we don't know what happened. We don't know why he did it. They have been very suspicious actors and people, are, and, and also the Mar-a-Lago raid recently on, on Trump, which raised a lot of eyebrows and I think really turned even Democrats and liberals to raise an eyebrow at the FBI. So it's not, it's not unheard of that this wouldn't happen. I mean, it, it happens all over the world.
0: As you say, that is potentially, you know, quite a terrifying story for a lot of Americans. But another element I want to focus on is the snarky reaction to the initial batch of Twitter files, which, as discussed, was not quite as explosive as some people expected. So what happened was you had this sort of pile on against it on Twitter. And this is another weird element of it. It's all happening on Twitter, which makes it very surreal. But the piece that stuck out to me was by Tim Miller at the Bulwark where the headline was, no, you do not have a constitutional right to post Hunter Biden's dick pics. And I think that is exactly what happens in the media, is that they jump on an element that is part of the story, but not really the point, and make it out like it's some sort of crazy, lurid attempt to just show naked pictures of Hunter Biden, when nobody, obviously people have passed around the pictures under Biden but nobody in the kind of you know New York Post or something that was never the focal point of their story was it?
1: No it wasn't and you're right for for them to seize onto that I think a lot of people were I mean nobody wants to see someone in throes of addiction like that I mean it was heartbreaking even though even if Hunter was absolutely corrupt and everything else that was going on the the true heart of the story was of course the influence peddling and the corruption and the, the extent to which that the Biden family was using Joe Biden's position as vice president to sell influence and to make millions in places like Ukraine and China. It was all about their business dealings. That was the main the main meat of the laptop story. And then of course, on top of it, there was all this other stuff, which is, which is just by nature going to get so much attention. That's how the media has, has managed to pretend it isn't true. NPR still has not, of course, acknowledged the Twitter files. They famously said that there was, you know, nothing here. It's boring. We're not going to, basically, they released a statement saying we're not going to waste our time on this. And then there's the other issue of the 50 to 60 intelligence officials who all came out and said that the laptop was fake and a hoax and Russian disinformation. Who are those people? How did they know that? What did they look at? What did they know when they said that? If you have that many people who are saying in the what we call the deep state, saying that this is absolutely fake when the FBI at the time knew it was real and now the whole world knows it's real, it looks like a conspiracy.
0: It doesn't look like you're being paranoid. Yeah.: Well, and so the next installment's going to come from Barry Weiss, and Musk has promised there's more to come to. suggested more to come. There's lots of interest in it. However, Musk has said that some of the files may have been deleted. So we're back to deleted emails territory, aren't we? Which is where we often seem to be in these stories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find it hard to believe that those
1: deleted emails can't be recovered unless they, you know, did Bleach Bit or whatever it was that Hillary did. <laughs> Hopefully in the next batch, I hope that we get to see a lot of, as Elon had originally promised, the algorithm. The general way that Twitter was arranging content and information, I think would be really interesting. Also, if we could have evidence that shadow banning is real. People swear it's real, but I don't think we have proof that it's real. This is the practice of Twitter. Basically you're allowed to have an account, but they throttle your reach and try to make sure that nobody sees you because they don't like you. I think it'd be really interesting to see a lot of stuff about the criteria they had for censoring private persons. I think that stuff is is going to be very interesting if Elon decides to release it. He said before he wanted to make the Twitter's code open for everyone to, to look at going forward. He hasn't mentioned that in a while. I don't know if once he's getting in, I wonder if people are suspicious that once he's seeing all this, he wonders if all of it should be made public. Jack Dorsey, interestingly, who I think came off the worst looking in the Twitter files because according to the files that were released, he knew nothing about what was going on. He was maybe like, doing ayahuasca down in Costa Rica (laughs) or something.
0: But he uh, said he didn't know anything that was going on. This was all happening under his nose. I thought that was an interesting element to it because as far as I know, Musk and Dorsey are quite... They get on, don't they? They're supposed to be... They're sort of both crypto bros together, aren't they? Yeah, and they seem to have a chummy relationship. So I wondered whether... And this is part of the problem with the fact that this story is now coming from the owner of Twitter, even if it is for noble reasons that, you know, I got the impression Taibi was maybe going slightly too out of his way, although he's a very, he is actually a journalist of some integrity. But he did say, you know, there's no evidence that Dorsey knew anything about it. I wondered if there's a sort of let's leave Jack out of it element. Oh, that's interesting.
1: I didn't, I didn't even think of that. But that could be that they're maybe just trying to, to save him face. He's He's kind of had an interesting little journey, though. He seems like he's he, he left Twitter in a kind of repentant state of thinking he'd left the world a worse off place than he found it. And, and now he is sort of saying things that you never thought he would, never would have said while he was at Twitter. I mean, everyone kind of assumed he was this wacky social justice warrior when now it, it looks like he's maybe the yoga pant wearing mirror of Elon
0: Musk in, in many of his values. Yeah. Maybe the ayahuasca voices told him they spoke the truth to him. <laughs> One can hope. And so, what do you expect to have? Do you think this story will sort of bubble into a major conspiracy like RussiaGate, or will you know quite powerful establishment forces just poo-poo it away and say, actually, that's you know this is a this is a nothing burger over and over again?
1: I'm just overtaken by nihilism lately when it comes to this kind of stuff, and I don't think that n- nothing will bubble to the level of RussiaGate because it's not about Republicans. The Democrats and their media still absolutely control what the buzz is. So while you might have Fox News and you might have conservative websites chattering on about this, it's never going to reach the, you know, primetime special of the J6 hearings on CNN or whatever. And, and also, you know, the Republicans, I don't have any faith that they're going to be able to accomplish anything. Silicon Valley spend, still spends vastly more money than any other industry lobbying in Washington. And of course, they're lobbying both sides I have no faith in much coming of this. we might have we'll probably have some hearings maybe the GOP might be threatening to throw some people in jail, but that's sort of their equivalent of student loan forgiveness just to throw some meat to the base and with no intention of any of it actually coming
0: true Lay to what extent do you think there might be a bit more cock up than conspiracy here because these big tech companies they have enormous amounts of money and they have actually little need of a great number of staff. They need technicians, they need people who can do the the tech side of stuff, but they do not need that many employees. And yet they have all this money swilling around. And so in the last 10 years, perhaps, I put it to you, a whole sort of set of uh, very well-educated or elite-educated people ended up being employed at these companies and they had to have something to do. And so misinformation became their... Sort of job just because it just filled a, a need that was there because they didn't have anything else to do. It's inter, Yeah, that's interesting because we always wondered why, yeah, why do these companies need
1: all these employers? You see headlines like Uber laying off 30,000 people or whatever, and you're like, why does Uber need, and those aren't the drivers, <laughs> like, why, what are they doing? It's, just, it's an app. So, <laughs> Another interesting thing, too, is whenever some story comes out about a Twitter employee or a Facebook employee, there's always some line like that they're related to some politician, they're related to someone famous. (laughs) And you just think this is strange. So are they being hired to fill some stupid job like 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 misinformation specialist just because they want favors from someone? The company wants favors from,
0: you know, some relative or whatever. Didn't Anthony Fauci's daughter? That's not fake news. Anthony Fauci's daughter was working at Twitter.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was another thing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, I was trying to think of who the, the big one I recently saw, and it was Fauci's daughter. Like, what in the world? Why is Fauci's daughter working at Twitter? This is so, what world is this? It's so strange. I guess it's just a world of politics and power and nepotism that is the American political media landscape, because I guess you see that thing everywhere. I mean, you kind of expect it to be a writer at the New York Times, but it's strange when you hear they're working at Twitter. Musk, obviously, he laid off how many people, a huge percentage of the workforce, and The website is running fine. (laughs) So I think that just proves uh, the point that there's a lot of fat to trim.
0: It's surviving giant Chinese hacks all the time, somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Chadwick, it's been a great pleasure to have you on again. Congratulations on your book. Don't give in to nihilism. And happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you. and, And thank you for having me on. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.